Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, I love going down memory lane here with some of the stories on 1010XL at 92.5 FM. There is no doubt about that, and JJ, that is not a lie. That absolutely, yeah, well, that absolutely happened. Welcome in to Hacker After Dark. It is a Thursday evening in the city of Jacksonville. And we are glad you are with us. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. A lot to get into. But I'll tell you what's interesting. I don't know if you guys have felt this way, but I certainly have. You know, some weeks just kind of drag on. I was thinking this was going to be one of those weeks. Jaguars get eliminated on Saturday. How, you know, would the city react? It would be a slow burn type deal. No. This week has kind of flown by Thursday evening already inside of 72 hours, well inside of 72 hours before the NFC Championship game and the AFC Championship game. So we will touch upon all of that with you. Obviously, a lot of Jaguar talk tonight as well. Uh, guest lineup looks like this. Leon Searcy, former Jaguar, Pro Bowl offensive tackle. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. He is coming up in about 20, 25 minutes or so. We'll put a cap on the Jaguar season. We'll look ahead to the offseason to come with Leon Searcy. Coming up at 9 o'clock, we'll go to Kansas City. As I told you guys last night, you know, we spend so much time here on Hacker After Dark and really on every show on 1010XL talking to the opposing city the week of the game they play the Jaguars. I want to go back to Kansas City. We're going to have Jed Marshall on a sports radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network. I want to talk to Jed about the fallout from the Jaguar game, kind of what the Kansas City thought was on the Jaguars last week. Obviously, talk about Patrick Mahomes' status and look ahead to the AFC Championship game as Cincinnati goes to Arrowhead or dare I say, Burrowhead, as it's being referred to in Cincinnati this week. So Jed Marshall in, in Kansas City at 9 o'clock. And around 9.30, the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Ryan Wilson of CBSSports.com. We'll talk a little Jaguars with Ryan Wilson. He also covers the NFL and the draft three months away from the NFL draft senior bowl. Believe it or not, is next week. Boy, remember how popular that thing used to be here in uh, Jacksonville. So we'll talk to Ryan Wilson, start getting an early look at the draft class overall here in 2023. But as we do every night on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so the coaching carousel has begun. If you missed this earlier today, Frank Reich, the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, is back in the National Football League after a couple of months away. He was fired by Indy midseason. 
They replaced him with Jeff Saturday, who had never coached an NFL game in his life. And Frank Reich was shown the door. Well, here we are on the 26th day of January, and Frank Reich is back in the National Football League, this time getting the head coaching job with the Carolina Panthers. More on that in a moment. Also up in New York, the Jets have a brand new offensive coordinator, a name familiar here in Jacksonville, Nathaniel Hackett. After just a uh, dismal, uh, just awful showing as the head coach of the Denver Broncos for, what, 12 or 13 games this year, some thought Nathaniel Hackett would take time off. Nope, right back in as the brand-new offensive coordinator of the New York football Jets. And let the rumors begin swirling on that one. All the talk today, did the Jets bring in Nathaniel Hackett because of his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. More on that in a moment. But it got me thinking here today. It's what I do, Denmark, on Thursday afternoons. I just constantly think, right? What should I bring to the radio show this evening? As the NFL Network was busting in with breaking news on Frank Reich, as the NFL Network was busting in with breaking news on Nathaniel Hackett, All the rumors swirling tonight is that D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, is by far and away the leading candidate in Denver to land their coaching job. I thought about how refreshing this is, how nice this is, how enjoyable this is to not have the Jacksonville Jaguars involved in any of this. For the first time certainly in two calendar years, but I would even go into three calendar years because we all pretty much knew what was going to happen to Marone coming into the 19 season. They just waited a year. No coaching news here in Jacksonville. Doug Peterson is the man. Press Taylor will be the offensive coordinator. Mike Caldwell will be the defensive coordinator. Mike McCoy should be back. Jim Bob Cooter, we'll see. There's at least some rumblings that maybe he could get at least an interview for one of these open coordinator jobs. But whether you're talking about Brinson Buckner on the D-line, Phil Rauscher on the offensive line, the coaching staff for the Jacksonville Jaguars will be, by and large, intact from where it ended in Kansas City last Saturday. And it's a long time coming, too. Last year, well, really, let's go back two years. Let's go back to the Urban Meyer search. Remember the helicopter following Urban's car from the airport to the stadium? The introductory press conference with Shad Khan and Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer. And then it was basically just a sequel last year, except sub out Doug Peterson for Urban Meyer. The coaching search last year, Byron Leftwich, right? 99.9%. It was going to be Byron Leftwich and Adrian Wilson. In fact, I think that was actually said by a guest out in Phoenix here on 1010XL. And, you know, some people are wrong. That's, That's fine. I've been wrong plenty of times. But the point is... Isn't it nice to not be tracking coaching interviews? 
isn't it nice to know who the head man in charge is going to be? You know, there was a time here in Jacksonville where the Jaguars had two head coaches in what? 17 years, right? Tom Coughlin went from 95 to 02. Jack Del Rio went from 03 to most of 11. So from 1995 to 2011, I believe that's what, 17 seasons of Jaguar football, only two head coaches. Boy, that's rarefied air now. You never see that anymore. But since Jack Del Rio was fired towards the end of 11, we all know you go from Mike Malarkey to Gus Bradley to Doug Marone to Urban Meyer. And now finally, the right man is in charge in Doug Peterson. You know, I brought up earlier this week on Tuesday, I want to say, that um, we talked about Trent Baalke. And I made the point that Trent Baalke, to me, signed the best free agent class in Jaguar history last offseason. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Brandon Scherf, Foye Oluwakin, Arden Key, Darius Williams, Fadakasi. To me, that's the best free agent class the Jaguars have ever had. You could argue, you know, Calais Campbell, A.J. Boye, Barry Church. All right, that's three guys. That's not eight guys. The Jaguars signed eight guys that were vital to this team's success. But I got a little kickback on social media. Not that I'm not used to that, Denmark. That seems to happen to me from time to time. People convey their thoughts somewhat in a very negative forum to me Couple on social media. Four-letter, five-letter words sometimes. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm happy they interact. As I've always said, I'd rather be hated than be irrelevant, so it's fine with me. And I don't know if I'm hated necessarily, although one guy did say he hated me, so I guess that does apply to him. Um, but I got a little kickback because people say, well, yeah, those eight guys were awesome, but it was Doug Peterson that made them awesome, not necessarily Trent Baalke. Okay. That's a conversation I would have with you. You know, I think the defensive guys, I don't know how much Doug Peterson did with them. I think Trent Baalke brought in a very good class regardless, but yeah, if you want to say the reason it looks so good with Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Brandon Sheriff is because of Doug Peterson. Yeah, all right. That's a road I'll go down with you. I'm willing to listen to that. Doug Peterson was a grand slam hire. Wasn't a single or a double or a triple or even a solo homer. No, he was a grand slam. The Jaguars could not have possibly hired somebody better last year than Doug Peterson. Now, here's the thing with that, and and we'll talk about this, obviously. we got a lot of time before April 17th when the team reports back for officially year number two of the Doug Peterson tenure here in Jacksonville. With great success in year one comes great expectations. The football team overall has them. Trevor Lawrence has them. Doug Peterson has them. You know, if you come in and you take a last-place team and you snap your fingers and you go from last to first in the division and you get to the divisional round of the postseason, that's unbelievable. But now the question will be, can you keep it up? 
you know, this past season, Jaguar fans would have been thrilled with seven wins. I would have been ecstatic with seven wins. The fact they got nine wins in the regular season, won the division, and won a playoff game? Are you kidding me? That's incredible. It's incredible. But now what's the expectation going into 2023? The expectation absolutely will be to win the division again. As we laid out last night, the division's only got four teams, two of which, Indianapolis and Houston, are both picking in the top five. Both of those teams currently on January the 26th do not have head coaches, and both of those teams currently on January 26th do not know who their starting quarterback will be in September. So, yeah, absolutely you're supposed to be better than Houston and Indy next year. Tennessee? brand-new general manager in Rand Carthon, a general manager that has never worked with head coach Mike Vrabel. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. It'll be interesting to watch to see what happens in Nashville. But the expectation is absolutely to win the division. That goes without saying. Keep in mind, though, it's going to be tougher. It's going to be a lot tougher. You know you play Houston twice, Indianapolis twice, Tennessee twice. That's the easy part of your schedule. Your division games are the easy part. Next year, you play the AFC North. What does that mean? Well, you play Baltimore. You play Cleveland. You play Pittsburgh. And you play Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. You have a first-place schedule. That means you get Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. A first-place schedule means you play Josh Allen and Buffalo. And the crossover game next year in the NFC just happens to be against the NFC West, and you happen to draw the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco, Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. (coughs) Yeah. Exactly. The other four teams you play are from the NFC South. Tampa, Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans. It's going to be fun. There's definitely going to be some primetime games mixed in there. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about year two for Doug Peterson. I'm excited about it all. Can't wait for free agency. Can't wait to see what happens with Evan Ingram. With Jawan Taylor, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to discuss. But, make no mistake about it, there are expectations on everybody involved. (laughs) Back to the original point, how refreshing it is to have stability in the coaching ranks here. To not be part of that NFL coaching carousel. Teams that are part of that coaching carousel The New York Jets, Nate Hackett, they hired him at offensive coordinator today. It wasn't 10 minutes later. I'm serious about this on social media. Not 10 minutes later, people started throwing out there Aaron Rodgers. They're going all in for Aaron Rodgers. Look, the Jets are in the AFC last time I checked. (coughs) Excuse me. That's where Green Bay said they'd be willing to trade. Aaron Rodgers, to an AFC team. He obviously has a nice relationship 
with Nathaniel Hackett. There are reports out that Hackett was getting ready to sit out 2023. Decided to come back, maybe unexpectedly to some. Why did he decide to come back so quickly? <coughs> Excuse me. Was he given some kind of assurance from the New York Jets that maybe they might be in the running for, say, a certain quarterback from Green Bay that Hackett worked with two years ago. It would be interesting. I mean, they're pretty much done with Zach Wilson, right? You got to think that. If they're not done with him, they're all but done with him. Mike White's there, Joe Flacco, who knows if he'll come back. So that was one of the big pieces of news today. And then Frank Reich in Carolina. Good for Frank Reich. Many people around the league thought he got an awful deal, a completely raw deal at the end of his time in Indianapolis. It's not two and a half months later. He's right back in as the brand-new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. There's a lot of speculation, too, with that. Does that mean Carolina is planning on making a move in the draft? Keep in mind, all they really have on that roster right now is Sam Darnold. Could they make a move up to try to get a Will Levis out of Kentucky? Someone along those lines. We'll see. But now that the coaching carousel has begun to drop some dominoes, you would think more are going to happen sooner rather than later. Reports out of Denver tonight that D'Amico Ryans, the former Alabama linebacker, the former NFL linebacker, and the current defensive coordinator with San Francisco is the leader, the top candidate in Denver. In Denver, it's kind of like Jacksonville. This will be their third head coach in three years. You want to talk about a team needing some stability from Vic Fangio to Nathaniel Hackett to now the next guy in line, which at this point appears like it could be D'Amico Ryans. More on the National Football League coming up in just a bit. Again, we'll go back to Kansas City. We'll talk with Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network. We'll look at the Chiefs and the Bengals, but I want to talk to a Kansas City sports guy about their thoughts on Jacksonville last week and, of course, the Mahomes injury, everything that comes with that. That's coming up in about 35 or 40 minutes. Coming up next, Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You get him with me weekly here on Hacker After Dark, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll quickly review the season, but I want to mainly talk to Leon about the future. Leon played four years in the league at Pittsburgh, went into free agency, left Pittsburgh to sign with Jacksonville as a right tackle. Jawan Taylor has played four years in the league at right tackle. He is a free agent. If anybody knows what Jawan Taylor is thinking, it's a guy like Leon Searcy. We'll talk about that, Evan Ingram, and more next with Leon. It's Hacker After Dark on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season, unfortunately, has come to an end, but there's a lot of time now to reflect and look ahead to some promising times ahead here for the Jaguar organization. With that, let's do that with a guy that played here for the Jacksonville Jaguars, was a Pro Bowl player for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You hear him every day 
on XL Primetime, and you get them weekly here on Hacker After Dark. That's my buddy Leon Searcy. Leon, how we doing? No, I'm doing fine. Hack, I'm doing well, bro. Leon, you've had a couple of days now to digest what happened in Kansas City. We won't spend a lot of time on the game because I certainly want to look back at the season as a whole and look ahead. But what have you thought about the game in the last three or four days since it transpired? Um, you know, initially I, I saw the game. Um, you know, I was proud of the Jaguars for the the season that they had, the opportunity uh, to go through some adversity, the five-game losing streak, the bounce back. Uh, the five to six game winning streak, the way they came back were always in games, you know, outside of Detroit's line game. This team had, made it very competitive in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I'm not about giving participation awards. Uh, there's only one team that uh, hoists up the Lombardi and the, the rest of the league are losers, so to say. But uh, this Jaguar team made me proud to be a Jaguar, to be honest with you. It absolutely did. Uh, uh, the frustration of being a Jaguar the last couple of uh, years, uh, the one and five season, the three and thirteen season, the five and eleven season, uh, for this Jaguar team to have a co- new coaching staff, new head coach, uh, all the uh, Trent Baalke, uh, uh was in question on his leadership ability with the organization, and for this team to do what they did to win the division. Uh, to, to beat the Titans twice and play the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round. Um, I'm just I'm just I'm just happy for this team and I'm looking the future looks very bright bright for this team moving forward. Yeah, as we said on the fifth quarter last week, for the first time in a while there wasn't relief that the season was over. It was kind of sadness that the season has come to an end. Leon, how long will it take? for the players to get over that loss to Kansas City? How deep into the offseason before they stop thinking about it and look ahead to next year? Well, I mean, the unfortunate and the fortunate task this team this, this team is going to have to do, they're going to have to watch the championship game. Uh, they're going to have to watch the Super Bowl. I know for me personally, I could not, when I, I watched the, the, the Super Bowl, you know, I can't wait for the season to start back up. I can't wait to get back into the offseason, you know, working on my crab, watching the film, breaking down film, doing a self-evaluation of what could I have done better. How can I improve my game? You know, because it's, everybody's going to have to do a self-evaluation of themselves, and that's the only way your team is going to get better is to evaluate what they can do better to help this team out moving forward. Uh, if you can do that collectively and everybody's all in on it, uh, then you would have a pretty good team moving forward. Um, so uh, it, it's going to take a little while to get over it um, because when you see the team that wins the Super Bowl, whether it be the Bengals or the Chiefs or the Eagles or the Niners, you know two out of three of those teams that you've played already and you've had opportunities to win, uh, you're going to say that, you listen, we can play with the big dogs. As a matter of fact, we can be one of the big dogs. Uh, and we put all this stuff together. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy here with us on Hacker After Dark. Leon's got a pretty cool event coming up this Sunday for the championship games that we'll tell you about in just a little bit. Leon, how can you put into words what Doug Peterson meant to this organization this year? Resurrection. 
I mean, it was. He 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 resuscitated this organization. Um, this organization, I mean, this Jaguar uh, corporation or team or whatever you want to call it, uh, was on a, a lifeline. Um, it was it was uh, it was almost a flatliner. Uh, the, the way this team had to uh, come off the Urban Meyer uh, debacle. And Doug Peterson came in, and he, he resuscitated this organization, who was, quite frankly, on flatline. Um, brought in a good coaching staff, told his team that, uh, listen, we're, we're going to work. I'm going to be hard, but I'm going to be fair. And, I, hey, listen, I, I'm, 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 I'll be lying to you if I didn't sit back and say that I questioned some of the tactics that uh, Doug Peterson was using in the offseason. It seemed to be a lot kinder and a lot cozier over there. And I felt like this team, the last thing it needed was kind and cozier. Then he comes out and says this team needs healing and, and gave them days off and, you know, tell them, told them to go home. And I was irate, so I was dead wrong. Uh, the team responded well to Doug Peterson being the same person each and every day. You know, he was believable. Uh, that he was tr- he was trustworthy. Uh, he told this team, "Hey, listen, uh, we've got a long season to go. Even during that five-game losing uh, streak, he said we got a long way to go. He said that by the end of the season, we're going to be playing the Tennessee Titans uh, for the division title. All these things, these are premonitions that Doug Peterson put out there to make his team believe. And uh, I'm telling you, uh, Doug Peterson." Uh, if he made, I don't know what his situation is. If he wins coach of the year or not, but I can't see anybody else there, out there who's who's more deserving than Doug Peterson as far as the coach of the year goes. No, I completely agree. When you talk about the circumstances that were inherited, I don't think anybody did a better job than Doug Peterson. Leon, the video that I'm going to remember the most heading into this off season is Trevor Lawrence at Arrowhead on Saturday in the tunnel after the game greeting every one of his teammates. This is a 23-year-old that just played his tail off, came up a little bit short, but then to greet every player as they're walking up the tunnel, boy, you want to talk about having the right guy at quarterback? To me, there's no more doubt. Trevor Lawrence, both from a leadership role, a talent role, he is going to be the man here in Jacksonville for a long time. Absolutely. And... Here's the one thing I know about greatness and leadership because I've been around it. I've been around it in Miami. I've been around in Pittsburgh, and I've been around in Jacksonville. More than likely, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the hardest-working guy on that field each and every day. And because of the way he's played and the leadership roles that he's taken upon himself, he's going to put into question anybody that doesn't work as hard as he does. It's going to be very hard for you to walk off that field knowing that Trevor's still on that field throwing balls and working, you know, working, with, working with his wide receivers or staying extra and watching extra film in, in, the, in the weight room getting extra reps, you know, on the field getting an extra gasser in or extra sprint in. Uh, I, I've been in a situation where I played with Michael Irvin. I played with Rod Woodson. I played with some of the greats, and they always do extra. So – it's going to make everybody else around Trevor have to elevate their game and their effort and their participation in the offseason because his leader, his leadership role is going to be elevated uh, 
I'm pretty sure once the all season starts up. A couple of more for former Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, you uh, can speak to this. You lived this four years into the league. You became a free agent, a highly sought-after free agent. You ended up leaving Pittsburgh to come to Jacksonville. Now, four years into the league, Jawan Taylor has started every game in his career, coming off his best season, is set to become a free agent. Take us into the mindset of Jawan Taylor. What is he thinking six weeks or so before free agency gets underway? Well, the first thing Jawan Taylor has to do is he has to make the decision on where he wants to be. And he wants to be in Jacksonville, in my opinion. I would think he would want to be in Jacksonville. But you also have to understand that Jawan Taylor has the same agent that I had, who I told when my free agency was up that Pittsburgh gets first dibs on everything. And then when the free agency became came about and was running a little slow, uh, my agent moved and maneuvered the way to uh, get me to think that I, the team that I wanted to stay with, didn't want me anymore. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Drew Rosenhaus doesn't use those still those tricks of the trades that he used against me over 30 years ago. But you know what? It worked out for me because I came to Jacksonville. I became a Pro Bowler. I played in a couple of championship games, and it's going to give me a boatload of money. I would tell Jawan Taylor that. Um, the grass isn't always greener, but sometimes it is, if you water it. Uh, if he wants to stay in Jacksonville to make every effort and get a Jaguars every opportunity to get you signed, um, you don't necessarily have to be the highest paid at your position because I'm sure they're going to look at what Cam Robinson's making, and he's coming off a rookie contract where he's probably making about $12 million less than Cam Robinson. So, um, he's going to want a contract that's comfortable to that, or maybe even more. And I'm not sure that the Jaguars are prepared to pay a right tackle that much money. I got paid the way I got paid because Brunel was left-handed and I was a blindside protector. Uh, you don't have that case here uh, in Jacksonville. So uh, I'm not sure if he wants to get paid more than camp or he wants to get paid something similar to camp. But uh, if you do that, then uh, what do you do with Walker Little? I mean, who's who shined um, the last couple of games where they had him at left tackle. Leon, if you could only bring one guy back and you have to let one guy walk, Evan Ingram or Jawan Taylor and why? If I was to bring one guy back, uh, it would be Evan Ingram. Um, I think he's a nice uh, compliment, a very nice compliment to the offense. Uh, I think that um, – the knock on him dropping balls is out the window. I think in the, in the clique, he was a key component to this offensive success, especially in the middle of the field, and his, his ability to outrun linebackers and safeties when he was in uh, open coverage. Uh, so that, that'll be – and I think him and Trevor, him, Trevor, Zay, and uh, Christian Kirk, uh, you got a nice little – you got you got your nice little uh, dining set with those guys. You there, you know, gets they complement each other very well. And then you add on uh, Calvin Ridley. I mean, I mean that could be a very dangerous uh, quartet of uh, wide receivers there for you. Juwan Taylor, I think he becomes expendable based upon the fact that Cam Robertson injury may not be as long or as hindering. Uh, as we once thought it would be, uh, he he probably be, he'll probably be back in the mix 
uh, once the offseason program starts, Cam is a solid left tackle. Uh, and I think Walker Little has proven that he can play left or right. Um, so I think more than likely uh, he makes he makes Juwan Taylor expendable by moving him to right tackle. I still think that we need another swing guard and another swing tackle if they let Juwan, Juwan Taylor leave. Final moments here with Leon Searcy. Leon, we'll obviously talk many times this offseason, but when we head down to training camp in July and we're on the sideline there on opening day and we think back to the 2022 season, what are the one or two things you'll remember most about this team? Um, I'll, 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 I'll remember this team as um, collectively they, they believed. And um, a lot of that belief had to be that they, they were very close-knit. And um, a lot of the games that they won, they were team wins, um, offensively and defensively and special teams. Um, and, and this team learned a lot about itself. I, I was talking about this before Doug Peterson had even uh, uh, played a, a game, is that Doug Peterson – did an outstanding job getting this team to to stop thinking that they were losers. I said that Doug Peterson, before he had even coached a down or a game for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I said that most of the stuff he has to get out of his team is this this notion that they're losers, that they're 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 bad players. Ninety percent of it was mental, and I think that he did a great job of cleaning up all the mess that was said about this team for far too long to the point where the team was actually playing as they believed they were. He made them think that they were something greater than what they were, and they went out and they executed and played that way. Uh, so uh, he's to be commended for that, the, you know, the, to, to getting this team out of its own way and getting them to play to the peak of their potential. So uh, I remember that about this uh, this past season more than anything else. Leon, it is championship Sunday in the AFC. It's Kansas City and Cincinnati. That's the nightcap, the first game, San Francisco and Philadelphia. And you have a cool event at Island Girls Cigar Bar there on Gate Parkway. Yeah, every year, um, every year uh, during the J-Fund, you know, uh, we do the telethon for the J-Fund. I always offer uh, myself or my services to fans who want to make a donation and the bidding starts at 2000. So I say, Hey, listen, if you can bid over $2,000 to a worthwhile and wonderful J fund, you know, that's orchestrated by Tom Coughlin, one of the greatest coaches to ever coach. I will supply you with the party, uh, at Island girl cigars every year to watch the AFC and the C championship game. Well, not only me, but but some Jaguar, former Jaguar players as well, who will accompany me to watch the game. We're going to have food catered by Wingstop. We have discounts on drinks and discounts on cigars. And, you know, I'm going to tell a bunch of stories uh, pertaining uh, to my book, Fourth Down the Day. I'm a lineman story. So it's a fun time, man, you know, to watch football for eight hours with me and some of my teammates. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. No, that will be fun. Island Girl Cigar Bar, Gate Parkway there on Sunday 
for both championship games with Leon Searcy and some of his former Jaguar teammates. Leon, you're the man. Thank you, as always, for the time. Let's hope Championship Sunday has two terrific ball games, and you and I will talk again soon. Thank you, brother. You got it, bro. There you go, Leon Searcy, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. And by the way, kudos to Leon. Did you hear that today on primetime? My man got a tattoo live on the air, and it looks good. Looks really good. Was that Mr. Tattoo over there in the uh, Bay Meadows area? So uh, Leon said if they go to the postseason, he would get a tattoo, and it looks very, very sharp. Leon is a man of his word, and always appreciate him joining us here on Hacker After Dark. More on the Jaguars, more on the National Football League and Championship Sunday. That is coming up early on in the 9 o'clock hour. Coming up next, a little bit on college football. Saw something today that disturbed me. Well, I guess, check that. It would have disturbed me if I was a Florida fan, which, of course, I'm not, Denmark, an objective broadcast journalist. It would have made me very excited if I was a Florida State fan. And as you know, I've always liked Florida State. I have always liked Florida State. That's exactly right. The Pat Kennedy basketball camp back in the day. Florida State, again, cleaning up, just cleaning up, man, in the transfer portal. Florida, not so much. And speaking of Florida State and what they're doing, some really big names have finished three years of coaching, from Lane Kiffin to Mike Norvell, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Mel Tucker, Michigan State. Big names have finished year three. Where are they now? compared to what the expectations were when they were hired. And how many of those guys are on the hot seat entering year number four? We'll change it up a little bit. A little college football talk next on Hacker After Dark. Until this very moment where apparently I am a cocky and an arrogant Florida State fan, which I just, quite frankly, found pretty amusing. Find Florida Gators basketball on 1010XL. It's the Gators and Wildcats in the Midwest. Florida, Kansas State, Saturday at 5.30 on 1010 AM. Visit the brand new Lake. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. The transfer portal still going on, although the window for it, at least in this part of the year, has pretty much come to an end. And... Again, for Florida State, as we've mentioned many times here on Hacker After Dark, Mike Norvell just cleans up in the transfer portal. It's unbelievable the job he's done from Jermaine Johnson to Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson, Micah Pittman. Just go on down the line with the transfer portal, and Florida State is getting ridiculous return. And again, they have hit home runs in the transfer portal. You got um, the 247sports.com, which I think is hilarious, now has transfer portal rankings. And Florida State is number two in said transfer portal rankings. They have brought in seven what are considered four-star transfer portal rankings of players. A couple of tight ends that are going to contribute next year. A couple of offensive linemen that are going to contribute next year. A couple of interior defensive linemen that are going to contribute next year. I'll tell you, whatever the secret sauce that Mike Norvell 
has in the portal, he needs to keep it going because year in and year out, and this is not an ACC thing or a state of Florida thing. This is a across-the-country thing. Florida State appears to be one of the destinations when it comes to the transfer portal, and they have, again, done an outstanding job. Compare that with Florida, who has 10 commits out of the portal, three four-stars, three three-stars, and four that did not register a star ranking. Not even sure what that means necessarily, but that's kind of where Florida is. And, of course, one of those is Graham Mertz, the transfer from Wisconsin that apparently is going to be their starting quarterback because they don't have a better option right now. Right now, under scholarship is Max Brown, Jack Miller, who we saw start the bowl game, and Graham Mertz. Jaden Rashada obviously is gone, is no longer in the fold. He is yet to officially commit anywhere else, but we know he will not be coming to the University of Florida. And I got to tell you, nothing against this guy. We've had this guy on, Hacker After Dark, many times over the years. Had him on XL Primetime for a few uh, occasions as well. To me, Graham Mertz, the quarterback for Florida next year, smells an awful lot like Austin Appleby. A guy that transferred in from Purdue was okay. I mean, keep in mind, Austin Appleby did help win that 2016 game against LSU that won Florida, the SEC East there in Baton Rouge, but he was a guy, a transfer from Purdue that was a guy. I get the feeling Graham Mertz is going to be very similar, a Big Ten transfer that's just a guy. And unfortunately, next year's schedule is probably not um, good to have just a guy at quarterback when you consider Utah, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida State. We know all of them, LSU, South Carolina on down the line. Denmark, you are a proud alum of the University of Florida. You have orange and blue blood pumping through your veins. When you see what Norvell is doing in the transfer portal in Tallahassee, compare that to what Napier and crew appear to be not be doing in the transfer portal. Any red flags for you? Any concerns for you about that? Uh, a little bit. It's just, I mean, the biggest thing is just Florida doesn't have the quarterback. You know, I mean, if Florida had Rashada or Florida had a, 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 a worth noting transfer quarterback, I wouldn't feel as, you know, worried, I guess would be the that's word. That's a good point. But, if they would have gotten like Devin Leary yeah. with the other guys, that, yeah, that's fair. I mean, if because if Florida had the quarterback, we would be, we'd probably be like, eh, we'd probably be, we would be fine, but no quarterback, you, you have no future. That's fair. Back to Mike Norvell for a moment. He has just finished year number three in Tallahassee. A lot of guys have just finished year three. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Dave Aranda at Baylor. You got, obviously, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, Mel Tucker, Michigan State, Eli Drinkowitz, Missouri, all guys that have finished three years on the job at their given places. Um, And look, three years on the job, how have these guys fared? Sam Pittman, 19 and 17. In three years on the job at Arkansas. Dave Aranda, 20 and 16, three years on the job at Baylor. You go down to Mike Norvell, 18 and 16, which is a far cry from where he was prior to year number three. What did they go last year? 10 and three? 
So Norvell then was what, eight and thirteen coming in to twenty twenty two. He's now eighteen and sixteen on the year. Mel Tucker, eighteen and fourteen, three years at Michigan State. Lane Kiffin, the leader in the clubhouse, at least with wins at twenty three and thirteen, three years at Ole Miss. Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri, seventeen and nineteen. Mike Norvell should have been coach of the year last year, in my opinion. Should have at least been coach of the year in the conference, if not the entire country. But we know that I guess Elko at Duke won it. Look, Florida State winning 10 games last year was nothing short of incredible. Jordan Travis, the year he had was outstanding. And the crazy thing about Mike Norvell, maybe it's NIL related, maybe it's collective related. It probably is. But think about all the guys that have decided to come back to Tallahassee. All the guys that could have gone pro, primarily Jared Verse, who was a projected first-round pick on the defensive line. He's back. We know George Travis is back. Johnny Wilson. I mean, all of these guys that have decided to come back. Hugh Mixon, all the transfers that they got out of the portal this year. And I got to tell you, when those preseason magazines start hitting newsstands in May and June, Florida State, to me, is going to be picked to win, <coughs> excuse me, the ACC, and maybe picked as one of a dark horse number of playoff teams. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. He's done a terrific job there. I believe he's second on this list. Look, it's hard to say that any one of these guys has done a better job than Lane Kiffin in three years at Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin uh, got them to, what, a New Year's Six Bowl, has just had NFL prospect out of NFL prospect, leave Oxford, and I'm surprised Lane Kiffin's still there, to be honest. I thought if he was this successful at Ole Miss, he would have found his way to an LSU when it opened up or some team along those lines, but no, he looks pretty entrenched in Oxford. I would go Lane Kiffin one. I would probably go Mike Norvell number two. And look, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, a little bit of the luster came off of him last year. But the guy's got such an engaging personality, it's hard not to like Sam Pittman. And he's done a pretty decent job there three years in Fayetteville. So more college football to come. We'll try to mix it in as we go along. The other National Signing Day is coming up. Obviously, a lot of hay was in the barn back in December but the February National Signing Day is on the horizon. So we'll keep you updated. But again, I would say 85 to 90% of classes are already all figured out. 85 to 90% of all recruits have already committed and signed on the dotted line. You might have a rare occasion like a Jaden Rashada who then asks out of said letter of intent. But the ones that are left will ultimately sign on the February National Signing Day, about a week and a half from now. Halftime on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we're with you till 10 o'clock. We are glad you are with us. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just search 1010XO on YouTube. You'll see the show there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XO on Twitter, you'll see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock this evening. Coming up next, let's go to Kansas City. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in the Kansas City area. He's also part of the Kansas City Sports Network. 
Let's talk Chiefs-Jaguars fallout. What was the thought in Kansas City about the Jaguar game last week? The thought about Jacksonville moving forward out there. And then certainly we'll talk Patrick Mahomes, his injury, and why has Cincinnati been able to dominate Kansas City the last three times out? And will that change Sunday in the AFC championship game? Jed Marshall, Kansas City, Sports Radio 610. He's next on Hacker After Dark. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Chiefs and the Bengals on Sunday in the AFC Championship with the winner heading to the Super Bowl. Let's go to Kansas City, a spot where the Jaguar season ended last week, but a spot where they continue to play football in the postseason. My man Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. He's also a part of the Kansas City Sports Network, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jed, how we doing, man? Ryan, I'm doing well. How are you, my friend? Jed, we're good. You know, normally we talk to the opposing city leading up to the game. I thought it would be interesting to go back to Kansas City and get your thoughts about the game last week and about the thought on Jacksonville uh, out there in Kansas City moving forward. What has been the reaction to the Chiefs win and what's kind of the thought on a young Jaguar team that pushed the Chiefs on Saturday? I think the thought is that Jacksonville is definitely an up-and-coming team. And you see, I mean, for the fact that you guys have there in Trevor Lawrence, you know, a guy that I, it feels weird to think that he's only in his second year because we've heard about him, you know, going back to his time at Clemson. But, you know, that they're a very good team and they have a very competent coach in Doug Peterson, a guy who knows Andy Reid well. The thought really was going into the game especially from at least the fans I heard from that you know the Chiefs were gonna walk over the Jags and I never felt that way going in I feel like they're a very good team and one of those things it's just a weird conversation to have in the sense that unfortunately or fortunately for Trevor Lawrence he's put into the who's next you know and when looking at it from a Kansas City perspective, you have Patrick Mahomes, who, say what you want, is up there as one or two, put him where you want. You know, it kind of stinks from a Jacksonville perspective, but at least in my eyes, I think Jacksonville's a very good team. They have a wrecking crew on defense. They actually are one of the teams now that recognizes that they have Travis Etienne, who's an unbelievable guy, was on my fantasy team, and, you know, I, I, he was – a superstar for me in, in that end. But, you know, I think they're a very good team, and I think that they're going to be formidable because they have guys who are cost-effective and draft picks still to use in the future. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610, out in Kansas City, also a part of the Kansas City Sports Network. You know, it's interesting. Year number one for us with Doug Peterson very apparent the type of coach he is. You guys with Andy Reid, I look back at his tenure when he started at Kansas City. Um, not not a bad start, not a great start, but he has just been rolling for the last, what, five or six years. Now 20 postseason victories for his career, which is just incredible. Um, and he did it again last week. When you bring Chad Henney in cold off the bench 
and go 98 yards for a touchdown that was one of the deciding factors in the game. Uh, we tipped our cap to him all week here in Jacksonville. What can you say? But Andy Reid is just simply the man. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, Chad Henney, you guys know well from his time in Jacksonville and stuff like that. I'm a Michigan fan, so I know him well. And it's it's really cool. We had guys calling into the postgame show mentioning that Chad Henney has become something of a folk hero, you know, if that makes sense, because of his win over the fourth quarter win that he had a few years ago and then his, you know, 98-yard drive. What can you say about him except for the fact that when you're in this position, Mahomes' style is to play loose and free and unfortunately or fortunately because he makes so many plays, but he puts himself into harm's way. Um, but having a competent quarterback who understands the system, I think that's a compliment to Chad Henney and Andy Reid. Jed, Patrick Mahomes last week leaves the game with a, a sprained ankle. We've later come to find out it was a high ankle sprain. In the days since the game, we'll talk about his status moving forward in a moment, but what he did last Saturday in the second half playing on basically one leg, I mean, that is uh, that's something that will be talked about in Kansas City for a long time, correct? Absolutely, though when I was talking with Jay Binkley, who's the host of our post-game show, um, about it when we were watching the game, there's also an element of are you – you know, and I, I get the magnitude of the game and everything, but are you, you know, trying to win the battle but ultimately lose the the war? Because I know at least in Kansas City, people talk about Patrick Mahomes and just have him penciled in as QB1 for the next 15, 20 years. And I think that there's certainly a part of that that, that goes along to that because he is one of the most dynamic players and things of that nature but ultimately the way that he plays if he continues to go along this path there's going to be a you know diminishing returns because you're not going to be as explosive and he's not a guy who you know i mean he's, he's crafty when he gets out of the pocket but he's not a guy who's who's going to blow you away um with the speed and elusiveness so to me that's one of the things that i find a little troubling but yeah we're, we're on ankle watch absolutely 24 7 and we'll, we'll wait and see what comes out today but yeah, it's it's definitely nerve-wracking time here in kansas city a couple of more for jed marshall sports radio 610 in kansas city also a part of the kansas city sports network jed you mentioned the ankle again it's still relatively early in the week assuming mahomes plays and i i would think that's a safe assumption I think pretty much people are in agreement that he's going to play, but he probably won't be 100%. I mean, what does that do to an Andy Reid offense? Is it going to be very similar to what we saw in the second half last week? And if Mahomes struggles, could we potentially see Chad Henney on Sunday if it gets to a, a point that, that you need to consider that? Um, I, I it's going to be another long winded answer, but I think that at least from the Mahomes angle, I, he's going to play. I, I don't have that on, you know, hundred percent, but he's going to, he's such a gamer that he's going to go out there and give it a go. What the offense will look like. I, it's going to be one of those things because I think that the Bengals are really going to try and go out and make Mahomes get out and roll and, you know, get out of the pocket, bring, a lot of different things, but I also think 
that they could be completely passive and put eight guys out into um, coverage and, you know, just make it where there are no open lanes and Mahomes has to get out of the pocket and really test the ankle. So to me, I think that Mahomes, like I said, is going to go what it means for the team and the offense. I just think that they're going to have to be more efficient. They're going to have to rely on guys like Jarek McKinnon. And I mean, Isaiah Pacheco is, he's been a very nice find from the seventh round from Rutgers. Um, so I think that they're going to have to, you know, adapt what the offense is. Um, I think that Travis Kelsey is really going to have to have a, a big game and be a big part of the offense like he always is, but even more so in the fact that he's paramount this week because the Chiefs are limited in what they have at receiving core. I know you can talk about Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS, but outside of that, they're really, you know, limited to what they kind of do out of the backfield, Mahomes' playmaking ability. So a long way of saying I think that the offense is going to be tweaked, but again, all faith in Andy Reid and the fact that, you know, he's such a dynamic coach and you have a dynamic playmaker in Patrick Mahomes. But again, I'm just nervous on the fact that I think he's going to be limited. So I don't think you're going to see Chad Henney, but I do think that Patrick Mahomes is going to be in a position where he's going to play and gut it out. But it's I think it's just going to be an ugly game where the Chiefs do ultimately grind it out. Yeah, you mentioned Travis Kelsey. I mean, that guy never ceases to amaze us here in Jacksonville. You want to talk about a Jaguar killer. Travis Kelsey is a Jaguar killer, and he has been for years, and he was vital into Kansas City beating the Jaguars last week. Final moments with Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Jed, Cincinnati's won three in a row. Burroughs undefeated against Patrick Mahomes. That includes the AFC Championship game last year. Dare I say there's a feeling that Cincinnati probably should be the favorite coming into this game on Sunday night, even though it's the AFC title game in Arrowhead. Why have the Bengals been able to be one of the teams to solve the Mahomes puzzle? That's a good question because the Chiefs have been in positions where they've actually been up. And, you know, if you're looking at it from a Kansas City perspective, coughed away the games. But ultimately, the the Bengals, I think, are a bad matchup. And I was mentioning the postgame show. I was called a hater because when a team has beat you three straight times, they how confident they are coming in. They have very dynamic players and create bad matchups. They have a very competent defensive coordinator. But Joe Burrow, again, we go back to comments I made earlier um, just about the next it thing. But when you're able to throw the ball to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and you're able to hand the ball to Joe Mixon, that makes your job a lot easier. I know that their offensive line has been banged up, but their defense has been you know, very opportunistic and able to create turnovers and stuff like that. To me, I actually do kind of fear the Bengals a little bit. You know, I mean, they've they've come into your house and beat you. I To me, I, I think that they're definitely one of the better teams. I guess the only thing that would give me pause is seeing how much confidence they have coming off going into Buffalo and beating them. But still, I to me, I, I think it's going to be a very close game. I think that the number might even have the Bengals favored right now. Obviously, that's a moving target, but 
yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you see it even or even if the Chiefs are a home dog on um, Sunday. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City, also part of the Kansas City Sports Network. Jed, always appreciate the time. If the Chiefs win it this week, we'll certainly dial your phone again, getting ready for the Super Bowl. And, boy, you know, you look at Kansas City, uh, it's interesting. Mahomes, 27, kind of the elder statesman, right, of the AFC and we see Mahomes versus Lawrence, Mahomes versus Burrow again. We saw Mahomes versus Allen. Obviously, Mahomes plays Herbert already twice a year. Boy, Jed, fun times ahead in the AFC for many years to come with these young quarterbacks. Absolutely. But fortunately for us here in Kansas City, there's one constant there, and you mentioned it. It's Patrick Mahomes. So I guess at least we're in, we're in good shape here. Ryan, always a pleasure, man. There you go, Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. You know, it's interesting, too, in that everybody considers Patrick Mahomes the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, you could sprinkle on Aaron Rodgers, you know, recently. Maybe you can sprinkle in Josh Allen over the last year or two. But by and large, over the last, I'd say, three years, if you say who's the best quarterback in football, more times than not, the answer is Patrick Mahomes. And I know Mahomes doesn't necessarily play Joe Burrow. He plays the Bengal defense, and Burrow plays the Chief off, uh, defense. I get that. But if Burrow beats the Chiefs again, and if Burrow is 4-0 against Patrick Mahomes, and two of those have been in the AFC Championship game, both wins coming at Arrowhead in Kansas City, like I said earlier in the week, I'm not sure at that point how you don't say that Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the National Football League. So this is a big game. Obviously, the winner goes to the Super Bowl, but Burrow goes in there and wins, and that means he went into Josh Allen's house in the snow and beat Buffalo, and the very next week goes into Patrick Mahomes' house and beats Mahomes and the Chiefs again for the second straight year. Burrow would have my vote as the best quarterback going in the National Football League. We'll go around the world. Of the NFL coming up next here on Hacker After Dark. Remember Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com. I want to talk about some of the young Jaguars. The Tyson Campbell, Andre Sisco, Devin Lloyd, Trayvon Walker, Travis Etienne, obviously Trevor Lawrence. Ryan Wilson's one of the main draft guys at CBS. I want to talk about how these young Jaguars fared in 2022 and take an early look ahead, or I guess an early look for us, here in Jacksonville, ahead to the overall 2023 draft class. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Ryan Wilson coming up in less than 15 minutes. We'll go around the world of the National Football League. That's next on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Hacker After Dark, 26th day of January. A lot going on in the National Football League. Of course, we talked about earlier Nathaniel Hackett, former Jaguar offensive coordinator, former Packer offensive coordinator. If memory serves, he was the head coach in Denver for like 12 weeks this year. One of those weeks they happened to beat the Jaguars. Go figure on that one. Fired in Denver. Back with the New York Jets today, hired as the offensive coordinator and let the speculation begin about Nathaniel Hackett's relationship with Aaron Rodgers and could that mean 
Aaron Rodgers to the Big Apple. We will have to wait and see. Also, Carolina, the first head coaching domino to fall as the Panthers hire Frank Reich, the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, back in the National Football League, now the head coach with Carolina. Jacksonville will play the Carolina Panthers this upcoming football season. A guy that will not be a head coach by his own doing, at least he's telling teams that he's no longer interested this cycle, is Dan Quinn, former defensive coordinator with the Florida Gators, former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. He's been the defensive coordinator in Dallas. He was a finalist for a couple of jobs last year, was getting interviewed this year, but he tells the Arizona Cardinals today and anybody else that's interested in talking to him, Thank you, but no thank you. He has, quote, unfinished business in Dallas. I guess that means getting to the NFC Championship game before they lose next year. But Dan Quinn taking his name out of the running. It's in high demand. There's no question about that. You got to wonder what Jerry Jones gave him to take his name out of head coaching talk. And finally, D'Amico Ryans. Defensive coordinator in San Francisco, but appears to be the leading candidate in Denver for their head coaching opening. Now that Carolina's filled their job with Frank Reich, the first one fell, you'd have to think the process will begin picking up. Keep in mind, the Senior Bowl is next week. It's time for these head coaching vacancies to be full or filled. You got two of them still in the AFC South, both Indianapolis and Houston as of today. January the 26th, still looking for their new head coach. Coming up next, Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk 2023 NFL draft class with one of our draft guys here on Hacker After Dark, my buddy Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com. He's next on a Thursday night on Hacker After Dark and Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season, unfortunately, in the rearview mirror, although what a run it was here in Jacksonville. Now all eyes turn to the offseason. It's time to look back and certainly look ahead, and we'll do that with our bud Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ryan, it's been a little while, man. How are you? Hey, that's great, right? Because typically uh, I start getting calls from uh, radio guys around the country when their teams are out of it. And, you know, <laughs> I was having these conversations in October with other teams. And uh, after what happened last year in Jacksonville, what a what a nice bounce back and a pleasant surprise and a fantastic end to the season, at least up until the final game. But I, I think, I mean, do you remember uh, as the Jacksonville guy, a more exciting game than that comeback against the Chargers? No, no. It's one of the biggest wins in franchise history. There's no question about that. And to your point, yeah, normally by late January, we've had you on three or four times by now. <laughs> so uh, certainly different times here. Ryan, from your point of view, your vantage point, what did you make of what the Jaguars did this year? Uh, I mean, it, it was remarkable. And I think it just stresses the importance of how critical it is to have 
the right people in place when you're talking about leaders. And that starts with 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 uh, Doug Peterson, of course, because last year, by any measure, was a disaster. And this was a complete 180. And the results didn't show themselves immediately in the win loss column. But you got the sense that people were buying in to what Doug Peterson was telling them. And then it felt like a, a, a switch was flipped. After the bye, they were three and seven going in that bye week, and then they just got red hot and only lost one game the rest of the regular season uh, before running into the Chiefs last week. And everything came together, and I think there was no cohesion uh, last year and everything else that was going on with it. But I, I think you saw it with the Giants and Brian Dable in terms of him turning that operation around, uh, the Jaguars with Doug Peterson. Now, the Jaguars did it with more players. Brian Dable had pretty much the same cast of characters, but the Jaguars had the cap space. Uh, they had the draft picks, and Trevor Lawrence made the steps that you wanted him to make. Because, I mean, you know this better than I do, Ryan. The, the first six weeks of the season, I was saying out loud with some regularity, okay, how do we feel about Trevor Lawrence's progress? Because it doesn't appear to be where we want it to be tracking. And then he played like we all hoped he would play. And you have to have extremely high hopes, and Trevor Lawrence talked about it in that, that final press conference. Like, we're, this is going to be routine for us, and we're looking forward to coming back. And I, I believe, like, sometimes you hear guys say it, and you're like, okay, whatever. I think Trevor Lawrence meant it, and, and uh, he has me buying into what he's telling me. And, Ryan, with what you do at CBSSports.com, again, Ryan Wilson here with us. You cover the NFL, but certainly you're one of their main draft guys as well. You studied Trevor extensively coming out. There were questions, you're right, and then I don't know, whatever happened after London, he was a different quarterback, and clearly, uh, you know, there's talk now going into next year that he is among the top maybe five quarterbacks in the league. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, I, I mean, it's a young man's league. We don't know what Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are going to do, but they're, fair or not, they're being phased out, and that's just the reality of it. They didn't have great seasons, and they're, they're getting older, and it, it is a young man's game. Patrick Mahomes is uh, atop the mountain right now. There's a very real possibility, Ryan, that Joe Burrow supplants him if they win again for the fourth straight time the Bengals see this weekend. And then after that, it's Josh Allen. And then after that, it's wide open. And I think Trevor Lawrence is in that conversation. Justin Herbert is in that conversation. By the way, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert all came out of the same factory, right? I mean, they're all 6'5". Trevor's a little thinner than the other two big-arm guys, mobile, and, and can do – what you want these guys to do in, in a modern NFL offense. And I, I think if uh, Trevor continues to make the progress that we saw for the second half of the season, and there's no reason to think he won't, won't with Doug Peterson, he, he'll be in the conversation for top three next year if the arrow can, you know, continues trending upward. And I can't say it enough. I, I think Doug Peterson has been so critical to this team's turnaround. Um, but obviously you got to have a franchise quarterback because you could be Bill Belichick, for example. If you lose Tom Brady, sometimes you're going to hit some rough waters. Well, the crazy thing, too, looking ahead to the Jaguars' schedule, the Jaguars will see Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen next year. <laughs> so it is a crazy schedule for the Jaguars. Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com. Ryan, some of the other young guys really performed well. Look, Travis Etienne, we didn't know what to expect coming off the Liz Frank injury. The guy eclipses, what, 1,300, 1,400 all-purpose yards this year and I still think there's room for him to get better got some ball security issues he needs to work on this offseason no question but I think the future is very bright for ETN as well absolutely and that's right the question was he got hurt last season didn't play uh, his role was sort of undefined based on how Urban Meyer described it early on in the process and this year he was used how you want to use him and you mentioned the ball security issues that has to improve no doubt about it but he's, he's a dual threat 
and he'll win, obviously, with the ball in his hands running it, but he's also a threat as a pass catcher. And I think that familiarity uh, for Trevor Lawrence was something of a security blanket that he didn't have last year in addition to a lot of other things. And it, it makes you wonder if we're going to see – and it's sort of a weird situation, but see more of this where college teammates are, are reunited at, at some level uh, if they had success there uh, in the NFL. I mean, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase appear to be getting along pretty well uh, also, uh, drafting back-to-back years. And, and maybe that's just a peculiarity that, that played out that way. But you, you can see the chemistry there. It's one less thing you have to worry about in terms of sorting these things out in the, in the summer practices or in training camp. And, and I think he's another guy, if he's healthy, he's going to continue to improve and Calvin Ridley's coming back too, right? Yeah, Calvin Ridley is in the yeah. fold, yeah. So there are questions in terms of free agents. Evan Ingram's going to be a huge one to, to talk about, but I think the playmakers are there and, and the pieces are in place on that defense in terms of being young and fast and getting after it. That, that There's a lot of reasons for optimism right now in Jacksonville. Ryan, on the defensive side of the ball, what was your thought on Trayvon Walker this year? Uh, I mean, he, he didn't live up to the first overall pick hype and that's not his fault uh i think there was a lot of surprise in in the nfl draft media when kind of leaked out that he was going to be the first overall pick just because he wasn't as proven as aiden hutchinson or even Kayvon thibodeau if you want to take him there but you look at the measurables and you look at the flashes out of georgia and you're like okay i get it i I understand and this is the direction that the nfl is going with these uh sort of you know robots that they're building in in these in these factories to play football And, and he is uh you know checks every box and then some now you just want to see progress and i don't think anyone thought he was going to come in and have 15 sacks either it it was going to be a work in progress with the understanding that in year two three four and potentially five he'll be dominating and uh, i i think that's where you have to sort of how you have to think about it i thought devin lloyd was struggled at times and i thought he got got a little better at times Uh, i like the muma selection as well i mean there were conversations about why we're taking so many linebackers they're both athletic uh, linebackers who can play in space and tackle, and, and that's what you need in the middle of the field in today's NFL. Um, so I, I thought it was a, a pretty good draft with knowing only we're one year into this thing and with the understanding that Trayvon Walker could certainly get a, to- a lot better as he gets early, you know, gets further along in his career. You talk about Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, Chad Moom. I'll tell you a couple of guys in the secondary, two uh, second-year players, Tyson Campbell and Andre Sisco really came on, Sisco in particular. I think the future is very bright for those two guys as well. Uh, again, like Sisco's a Syracuse kid. I live in Syracuse, so I was happy to see him get drafted where he did. Um, Tyson Campbell and Sisco both physical freaks, right? So, you know, uh, long gone are the days of the prototypical strong safety in, in the most part in the free safety. It's sort of an inter, inter, interchangeable player and Cisco provides that and Tyson Campbell's long he's fast he's physical uh, a lot of the things that we saw coming out of college are showing up on tape in the NFL and I get it that's why that's why you draft guys like that that's why you draft guys like Devin Lloyd and Chad Boma and <clears throat> excuse me and I think with Josh Allen up front uh, and some of the uh, free agent signings they had in terms of guys who were dominant that a lot of folks didn't know about like I said man there's a lot of reasons for optimism we talk a lot about what Peterson's done with, with Trevor Lawrence and ATN and, and Zay Jones and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, of course. But the defense uh, played a, a pretty big role in, in the success this team had, especially down the stretch. A couple of more for Ryan Wilson of CBSSports.com. All right, Ryan, admittedly, we're a little late to the party here, the draft here being in late January. But let's start at the quarterback spot. A couple of interesting side notes, non-Jaguar related, but certainly AFC South related, both Houston and Indianapolis appear they're going to be in the market 
for quarterbacks, both uh, pick very highly in the draft. What are you hearing out of Houston and Indy at the direction they might go at the quarterback spot in round one? I'm laughing because all the Texans had to do was lose Enrique T that they would have the first overall pick. And now it's going to cost them a little bit if they want to move up because the Bears almost certainly are not going to stay put there. Because if they do, they're going to take Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, I would imagine. And uh, I do a podcast CBS called With the First Pick with Rick Spielman, the former Vikings general manager. And he's great in terms of offering insights about what's going on. And he said, look, if I'm the Bears, uh, I'm calling Houston. And then I'm turning around and calling uh, the Colts because they're in the same division. They both need a quarterback. And that's going to drive up the the price of poker when I get these two on the phone trying to figure out who wants to give me more. Because you're going to have to overpay for these quarterbacks. So I, I think Bryce Young is my QB one. When I talk to folks around the league, they are insanely afraid of Bryce Young being 5'10 and 185, which is probably what he's going to come in at. I get it, but he's a much better quarterback at this point than any other quarterback in this draft class. I think CJ Stroud is number two. Um, Will Levis, NFL teams love Will Levis because he's 6'3 and 230 and has a rifle arm and played really well in 2021. 2022 was forgettable from, from start to finish. Now he was injured. Uh, the offensive line wasn't very good. His wide receivers were all freshmen. I get that. But he's going to go to a bad team. That's what good quarterbacks do. So you wanted to see a little more than what I saw from him. And then finally, Anthony Richardson, who's a wild card. <clears throat> he looks at times like Cam Newton, 2015 MVP. And other times he looks like a guy that's destined to, to play another position. He just he's, he's short on experience, and that's the thing. And if you draft him, you have to be patient with him. I don't know if teams are able to do that in, in today's NFL because of the pressures of, of keeping your job. Uh, Ryan, but that's where this thing sorts out, and I think those are the four guys that find their way into round one. Is Bryce Young Kyler Murray? Is he Jalen Hurts? Is there an NFL comp for him? Um, He's not Kyler. He doesn't run like Kyler. He's athletic. Uh, who was the other one you mentioned? Is there a Jalen Hurts, perhaps? No, Jalen Hurts is, is huge, and Jalen Hurts will run over you. He's, he's more Drew Brees. Like That's probably the way to think about it. Drew Brees is pretty athletic coming out. Uh, you know, he played for, for 50 years, it felt like. So he, he lost some of that athleticism. Better arm than Drew Brees at the end of his career. Makes really good decisions. Sometimes he doesn't throw the ball on time, and that that's, has some teams a little concerned, like the ball to get out one, two, three. But he was also running for his life. And his ability to buy time in the pocket, his ability to see things that other quarterbacks don't see in this draft class, and his accuracy to all three levels is what's intriguing. So Drew Brees is probably the best comp coming out. Although Drew Brees measured at six feet and some change, I think, at his combine back in 2000, 2001. I mean, you'll get the AFC South as a whole. I think at this point it would be shocking to think that Houston and Indy do not draft quarterbacks in round one. So potentially you have two rookie quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill and Trevor Lawrence in the AFC South. That's got to, you know, just be blood in the water for Jaguar fans, correct, going into 2023? Absolutely. I mean, Jaguar fans have firsthand experience of what it's like to start a rookie quarterback. Uh, Trevor last year, I'm pretty sure Blake Bortles started his rookie season, didn't he? He started 14 games, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, you, you know how that works. And no matter how good you are in college, there's going to be a transition uh, no matter who you are. And uh, that aside, even if, <laughs> you know, the uh, Texans decided to roll, roll with Davis Mills, and the, the, even if the Colts got Derek Carr, I still think you're in a situation. I don't think they'd go down that road. I think you're tired of doing the free agent thing. But just for the sake of conversation, you're still in a situation where the Jaguars are going to be favored in that division based on the way that they finish, that young core, that coaching staff, that franchise quarterback. So you're exactly right. It's, you know, worst case scenario for the rest of the division is they draft these quarterbacks in terms of the near-term success. 
uh, and ends up being best case scenario for the Jaguars. Ryan, final question. And again, we can't really pinpoint yet what the Jaguars are going to do. They're picking, I think, 24th. So it's not as easy as it's been in years past. But the overall (laughs) draft class, uh, biggest position of strength, biggest position of weakness. How would you assess the overall class? You know, it's funny in that this is, I guess, suppose it'll be on the list of things to do, but it's not a huge need for the Jaguars. But this wide receiver class is not going to be that deep, which is a weird thing to say in, in 2023 when the previous two or three or four or five draft classes had, you know, get guys in, in round four and five that could play for you immediately. This class is, is a blip on the radar, and it'll be interesting to see how teams navigate around that. Offensive line isn't that deep either in the first round. We had uh, a couple of guys return to school. Um, which are, you know, obviously affect teams that need offensive linemen. Edge class is deep. Cornerback class is deep. Tight end class is deep. And depending on what happens with Evan Ingram, the tight ends could be on, on the radar for the Jaguars in the first round. And thinking it's the latest mock draft, I had him take Dalton Kincaid at Utah. Uh, incredibly athletic. Not as athletic as Evan Ingram, <laughs> but that sort of playmaker. Um, uh, I don't know if he ends up going in round one. He's a top 50 guy for sure. But certainly, uh, I'm sure someone the Jaguars will be kicking the tires on if they don't re-up uh, Ingram in the offseason. And Ryan, final question. You piqued my interest. Uh, final Jaguar-related topic. Um, Evan Ingram's a free agent. Jawan Taylor is a free agent. We saw how good Walker Little was coming in for Cam Robinson at left tackle. If they let Jawan Taylor walk, would you feel confident back during your study of Walker Little to plug him in at right tackle if Cam Robinson returns to the left side? I think that's that's where you start, right? It doesn't mean you don't make contingency plans through free agency and maybe even the draft. The thing with Walker Little, he had suffered so many injuries and then he opted out his last year, if I recall correctly. So there wasn't a lot of tape on Walker Little in terms of it being recent. And uh, you're just sort of taking a gamble because of the injury history and the, the lack of playing time. And, and it worked out. And those are the gambles that you certainly love to see. Uh, so, yeah, I think you start with that conversation with Walker Little there. and he, he's He's there until he's not is sort of the – sort of the conversations you sometimes hear from, from teams when you're talking about a player and his ability to do it. You leave him a tackle until he proves that he needs to be kicked inside the guard, for example, when you talk about guys who don't have long arms, quote-unquote, to play tackle position in the NFL. And I think that's what the approach you take with Walker Little. You put him out there and let him battle and, and see what he has and, and then readjust if you need to. And that's certainly another thought. If they re-sign Jawan Taylor, maybe you get Walker Little to left guard because you want your best five on the field. Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com. He covers the National Football League. He's also one of the main draft guys at CBS Sports. Ryan, always enjoy the conversation. Where can people find your podcast? I know you got quite a few of them going on right now. <laughs> yeah, with the first pick, uh, it's on, over at CBS Sports with Rick Spielman, the longtime general manager. You can just search with, his, with the first pick wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get it, and uh, subscribe there. We love it. There's no question about it. Ryan, always enjoy the conversation, man. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you to Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com, for joining us here tonight on Hacker After Dark. Ryan does a terrific job covering the NFL and the NFL draft over at CBS Sports. He's actually one of their main draft guys. We're kind of behind a little bit here in Jacksonville. I mean, look, when the Jaguars were picking number one, in the draft, both in 2021 and 2022, by late January, I would have had Ryan on like three or four times at this point. But when you go to the AFC Divisional Playoff, you're not focusing as much on the draft, but certainly it is that time now. The Jaguars have a pick in the mid-20s in the first round, 
So enjoyed Ryan's perspective, not only on the Jaguar season, but as we begin to look a little bit at this overall draft class here in 2023. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Thank you guys for hanging out with us this evening. Again, Ryan Wilson, CBSSports.com. Thank you to my friend Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City, also a part of the Kansas City Sports Network. Interesting thoughts he had about the Chiefs and the Jaguars game last week, the injury to Patrick Mahomes, how that could potentially affect things for Kansas City this Sunday. And look, the Chiefs are playing a team in the Cincinnati Bengals that have beat them three times in a row. Joe Burrow, 3-0 and against Patrick Mahomes during their NFL careers. And uh, boy, if Kansas City goes into Arrowhead again on Sunday and for the second straight year wins the AFC Championship on Kansas City's home field, I think you got to really evaluate at that point or reevaluate who is the best quarterback currently in the National Football League. And, of course, my man Leon Searcy joined us in hour number one. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You get him here weekly on Hacker After Dark, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We will be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.